Good morning. This morning we're going to be in um, a book that's one of my favorites. There's a lot of spiritual lessons there. The book of Jonah. Jonah. Small book in the Old Testament. and I learned this song later on in life about the books of the Bible. So I go back to Joel. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Micah. Okay, so Jonah. Book of Jonah. Many people know the story in this book. One thing I like about this book is that there's a lot of spiritual lessons in this book for us. It reveals the very heart of God toward not only sinners, but His dealings with one of His own, a prophet, that oftentimes, like I, He has a bad attitude. And so we're going to see how God corrects and deals with that bad attitude. And there's some uh, bystanders along the way. Another thing, the reason why I like the book of Jonah is that you see a, a real transparency here, a clarity, crystal clarity. Uh, Jonah speaks his mind. The men speak their mind. Uh, things get done and you see really what's going on. You don't have to wonder about what somebody might be thinking behind the scenes or like we usually do. I mean, those of us that have had kids, kids really they do what they do out in the open, unvarnished. As we get older, we learn to hide and connive and plan, you know, and manipulate. We learn the complexities of our sinful nature and how to exploit that uh, prowess, prowess to sin. But with children, it's right on their shirt sleeves. And that's one thing I like about this book, because it's right on Jonah's shirt sleeve, what he's thinking, how God deals with him. Um, there's very little doubt about what's going on and why, um, and what, what God's trying to accomplish, and the message and the, um, the lesson that he has for Jonah. And my hope and my desire is that it speaks to you as it has spoken to me as I studied this book. So I'd like to go through it. It's going to be a rapid pace because it's four chapters, not very long chapters. We could read it in eight minutes, but I'd rather work through it. Okay, Jonah was a prophet. Verse 1, chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correct, but thank you. Got the thumbs up saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Okay, so there was a city, Nineveh. It happened to be a very great city. Ancient historians said it was uh, the biggest city in the world at its time, in the day, back in the day, that expression. Big city. Uh, it was a capital of um, a dominating empire. And so it was no small city. And there's a geographical... Um, geographically interesting facts about the city. It was built alongside a river. It had great walls around it. I think it was Sennacherib that built great walls around it. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later when we think of the message that Jonah had for that city. It was a great city. Population, well, in the end of the, the book we read that, you know, God mentions 120,000 that don't know the left hand from the right hand, so most people assume those are children. So if you take that figure into consideration in the size of the city, you might get a city between a half a million and 600,000 people. So there are a lot of people there. And God, being the creator of all souls, was very interested in every single one of those souls in that city. Okay. Another thing we want to point out is two things he was told to do. One, go to Nineveh. Pretty easy, right? Pretty straightforward, pretty clear. A lot of people say, well, I don't, I'm not sure what the will of the Lord is. Well, Jonah couldn't say that. It's very clear to him. Go to Nineveh and cry out against it. And so... As we read through the book, we're going to get the flavor of the message. It was one of um, sinfulness, a wicked people 
Judgment is coming. God calls out for repentance because it's not really God's desire that any should perish. And so I find this an amazingly wonderful fact that even though God is a holy God and he must judge, he first sends out notice, gives opportunity for repentance, opportunity for salvation. And we see that in this book. And that's wonderful. And uh, we see later on, we're going to see that they responded. And God knew that they would respond. But a message has to have a messenger. And there's one individual that he had chosen for that message to be that messenger, and that was Jonah. Jonah. So as we work through this book, I mean, we think of applications to ourselves. There are certain people that only you can take the message of God to. I can't. I don't know all your relatives. I don't know all your circle of acquaintances, your neighbors, but you can. And so as we apply these truths to this book, we want to think of ourselves. What is this speaking to me spiritually? What is God calling me to do? How am I like Jonah? And how is my circumstance or situation in life like Jonah's is at these various steps through the story? Okay, so go to Nineveh and cry out against it. So he has to go somewhere and say something. Sometimes those are the two hardest things for us to do. We're willing to go somewhere, but the say something part's not so easy. Okay? Their wickedness has come up before me. Um, Jonah, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So if you look at geography, you have Israel, Mediterranean Sea, and you have um, Nineveh, about 375 miles to the right of the shores of the Mediterranean. In other words, eastward. Tarshish is the complete opposite direction. You, in, 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 your, in the map of the day, you probably couldn't think of a, a place farther away from Nineveh, Nineveh than Tarshish. So God says, go over here, and Jonah says, I'm going over there. Okay, pretty plain and simple, isn't it? And he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So if you study this, I mean, I remember once a long time ago, I heard a, a message on this book and you look at the word down. Okay, Jonah's on a downward spiral spiritually. He's going down to Joppa. He found a ship and he went down into the ship. He went below um, in verse 5 and he laid down and he fell asleep. Pretty soon, we're going to find later on in the story, he was thrown overboard, which was down into the water. And then, of course, the fish that God had prepared swallowed him up and didn't take him up, took him down even farther. So he was on a spiral going down spiritually. Do you think he perceived it when he started that spiral? And that's the sad thing about us. When we go into a spiritual nosedive, we're not usually the first people to know about it or to recognize it or to admit it. It's those around us that see, that are standing afar like we're standing and looking at his life. We can see he's heading down, away from God. He's distancing himself. He doesn't want to do something that God wants him to do. That's, that's it right there, unvarnished, plain and simple. God wants him to do something and he doesn't want to do it. Now, how many here in this room have ever been in a situation that they could remember where God wanted them to do something that they didn't want to do? So we're all in the same boat. No pun intended, right? <laughs> we know what it's like. There's something we don't want to do, and he wants us to do it. And, and God's reason for doing things is multifaceted. 
is for not only our blessing, it's for the blessing of those around us. It's not for destruction, it's for salvation. It's not for hatred, it's for love. And in the end, when we do capitulate, hopefully without too much persuasion, we find out, praise the Lord, why was I so reluctant? What was the hook dragging me back? So we want to think about that. We want to think about Jonah and why. Um, why was it that he, was, he didn't want to do God's will? One reason I could think of it was difficult for him. I mean, think of it. Um, they were a pretty gruesome uh, conquering empire. They were known for their cruelty. Um, later on, um, later on, I did some studying and I, and I did some uh, research into the history of Nineveh and the archaeologists dig up these big columns and they chisel part of their history on these columns. And there was a quote of some of the gruesome things that they used to do. And uh, you can see why God... I don't even have here. You can see why God had to judge the people. When they would... The word that keeps coming up on their pillars is flay. They flayed humans alive. They're captives. Burned 3,000 people alive. Officers when they conquered them. Um, they cut off body parts while people were still alive. Just the cruelty of these people. And so you might think, well, Jonah is sent there by God. How can we relate to that? The kind of fear. I mean, we have a fear of man is that we might get insulted. Or we might be ashamed. We might be insulted. We might feel rejected. I think Jonah's concerns were a little more heavier than that. I think of comparing it to sending sending a Jew to Berlin in the height of the German occupation of Europe and go there and preach repentance for forgiveness of sins. That would be very difficult, very hard, wouldn't it? And so Jonah was given a difficult task. But God's command is God is enabling, and God had a reason for that. And even though we have the cruelty of these people, um, or any one of us, any less of a sinner than these people, and a right stand before God and a right understanding of God's heart and our place before God, one would have to be rejoicing that God would offer forgiveness to any of us. But we like to think of the worst and hold back. And maybe that was part of Jonah. He didn't want the enemy to find forgiveness. He didn't want such a cruel people to find the mercy of God. But God was after them. And he wanted to rescue them from this terrible destruction. But Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, we might ask, well, why, why, looking at it from this point, why wouldn't he obey God? Well, okay, it might have been hard for him. We can see why. Maybe he thought, well, if they repent, then it wouldn't come to fulfillment, and then he'd be embarrassed because he was wrong. There could be a multitude of reasons. But we don't need to go very far to search the reasons why, because we just have to search our own heart, because God's given us equal commandment. In Matthew chapter 28, he says, go therefore to all the nations and make disciples, teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. And he goes a step further, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And quite frankly, we find excuse not to do that, not to go. We find excuses, and, and I'm, I'm including myself, I find excuses not to go across the street. And, I, and God isn't asking me, like he, he was Jonah, travel 375 miles from here. He'd go across the street, Eric. Uh, they're not really open. 
You know? So it doesn't take us to look far to understand and relate to Jonah, does it? He was reluctant. He didn't want to go. And so he set his mind on going the other direction. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm, verse 4, on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea, lightening it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship and laid down and fallen asleep. So the captain approached him. How is it that you are sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. That's pretty interesting. Calamity strikes. And that's a very good response. What did we do wrong? Which one of us is responsible? And there we have the principle that one man's sin can affect a larger group of people. Unbeknownst to them. But there's a certain amount of wisdom in these people. They didn't know the true God, but there was someone that did on the ship. And they said, something's up here. This is not normal. And they find somebody sleeping. But they did their praying to their gods. Of course, Jonah wasn't praying at the time, was he? No solution. Storm's getting worse. What else do we do? Well, let's cast a lot. There must be somebody here that's something that merits this kind of catastrophe. Do we do that? We have natural catastrophes all the time. We have difficulties we go through in our life. And we just plow through them like they're nothing. We don't stop and ask, wow, is God trying to say, say something to me? Am I running from God? Because there's a lot of ways to run from God. We don't have to go down to the port of Oakland and get on a ship. We don't have to go to the San Francisco International Airport and hop on a flight. I know from personal experience you can run from God standing right here in this room. You could run from God going home at night after work eating dinner. You can run from God every single day and hide it from all those around you. But you know what? Unbeknownst to most people, it has its effect on those around you. Your family. It has effect here in the assembly. It has effect at work. We, don't, we can't even imagine the long and far-reaching effect it has when we run from God. Unfortunately, it's no, we're not the first ones to recognize it. These men recognized something was up. And so they come to Jonah. So they cast lots and the, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Sounds like a good friend of mine. Asking questions like that. Get down to the heart of the matter. Some people ask real good questions. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So we see deep down inside. And here's a secret. Deep down inside. Jonah knew he was running from God. I mean, he could go down into that hold of that ship, right? He could pay his fare, which really tells us that running from God usually is going to cost us something, isn't it? You run from God, there's a price to pay. You follow God, and he pays the price. So he paid the price 
He went down in the hold of the ship and he's running from God. He's snoozing down below. He's not a stowaway, is he? He bought his passage. You know, there's so many ways in which we could justify running from God. I like what Spurgeon says. Jonah might have wondered, uh, I can go to Tarshish if I want to. I paid the fare. I'm not a stowaway. And he writes, Yet if you do a wrong thing in the rightest way that it can be done, it doesn't make it right for you. If you do a wrong thing in the rightest way it could be done, it doesn't make it right for you. If you go contrary to the Lord, to the Lord's will, even though you do it in the most decent and perhaps de- devout way, and I might add the most spiritual way, it is nevertheless sinful and will bring you under condemnation. So it's a real deep thought there. You know, there's a lot of ways that we can paint our actions into being spiritual and sounding spiritual. I go here and I do this. I go there and I do that. Oh, hasn't the Lord blessed this and hasn't the Lord blessed that? Jonah could have said, I paid the fare. I have a right to pass it. I can go where I want. God gave me a free will. I'll go to Tarshish. I mean, I might fancy even the idea of witnessing to the sailors along the way. And when I get to Tarshish, there's a whole city far from God. Perfectly justifiable. And that will fool most people. But it won't fool God, and it won't fool Jonah. You can do the wrong thing in the rightest way. And I I have to confess, we know how to do that very well. We hide from God and His direction for our lives. We go in the opposite direction. We paint it all spiritual so nobody else can tell. But deep down inside, we know we're running from God. And I I know that feeling. I've been there in my life. But this story is encouraging because God loves Jonah. He's not going to let him get away with it. Because he has a bigger picture in mind. He has more than just Jonah on his heart. So one thing I like about this book is that God goes after individuals through Jonah's disobedience and he's also going after Jonah. Because he wants to show Jonah his very heart. This is my heart, Jonah. So different than yours. This is the heart you should have. But Jonah wasn't there yet. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to them, what should we do that that the sea may become calm for us? Now they're asking directions from him. For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Okay, so now he's starting to see that this is causing other people grief. And so he says, throw me overboard. Now, I don't know what's behind that. If he just says, you know what, I don't want to go so bad that I'm willing to die, just get rid of me. Or if he's okay, I'm just going to cast myself on the Lord. It's better just to leave me in the Lord and he'll deal with me. I don't know what was going through his mind. But he said, in fact, what needed to be done. However, the men were reluctant. They rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. So they're really sensing this. No matter what they do, uh, everything's working against them. And uh, they didn't want to throw Jonah into the ocean because they didn't want you know, God to be mad at them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. For thou, O Lord, hast done as thou hast pleased. 
So they're crying out to mercy, for, uh, for mercy to God. They're going to throw over the prophet like the prophet says. And, you know, it took a measure of faith. They had to believe what Jonah was saying. And what was the result? So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Wow. Isn't that a confirmation of being in the center of the Lord's will? They did what God wanted them to do. <laughs> and that was just Jonah and God. And so many times that's what it's like in our life. When it comes down to it, it's you and it's God. And I think many of us feel that way oftentimes in our life. We have people around us that love us and we love them. We're very close to them. But sometimes deep down inside, you sort of feel like nobody can understand what I'm going through. Nobody can understand me. Nobody can understand how I feel. But you know what? God can and God does. Yet we're so reluctant to turn to him. That's who he wants us to turn to. He wants us to know, even though we're surrounded by people that love us, we're surrounded by family connections, church connections, community connections, it's not the same as he wants to have with us. It's a personal, living relationship with God himself. And until you have that, you'll never know true happiness. God's dealings were with Jonah in a very personal way. And so overboard he went. And now it's just him and the Lord. Then, um, then the men feared the Lord greatly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Interesting what effect that had on those unsaved sailors. And bring, think how low they were brought. Those sailors in that day, they were pretty rugged. I don't know if you've seen videos of the ocean with 30, 40 foot swells going over the bow of boats and go over half the ships. I'm thinking, you have to be pretty tough to go out there in a wooden boat like they did. <laughs> You know, I'm looking at these oil tankers that look like they get swallowed by waves. And it's fantastic what, what these men would have, must have been made of. You know, strength of these men. And yet they were brought to their knees, quivering by God. And they made vows to the Lord. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. In the stomach of a fish. Do you believe that? Sounds like a children's story, doesn't it? I might ask, why do you believe it? Well, back in the 1800s, the... There was a group of men that went um, whaling and sperm whales and one of the sailors fell overboard and they happened to catch this whale and kill it and gut it and the man was inside 24 hours later and he survived. He was unconscious. Of course, there was corroborating evidence that the story was true, but it just so happens that the wife of the captain said there was nothing like that that happened, which just goes to show you. You shouldn't believe it because of those kind of stories. You should believe it for one reason and one reason alone, because Jesus believed it. You look in Matthew chapter 12, he quotes it, like Jonah was in the fish, three days and three nights. So the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth, three days, three nights. Okay, Jesus believed it, that's good enough for me. I don't need any evidence, I don't need any stories of taking sailors out of fish's stomach or anything. It, might, it may have happened, it may not have, but if I, put my, if I take my stand on that, I might be ashamed when somebody disproved that. Jesus believed it, I believed it. And it, it's interesting because it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. And Jesus uses that uh, as a picture, foreshadowing of his own experience. And so when we read through this next chapter, we can imagine what, the Jesus, what Jesus must have went through on the cross. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord. And he answered me. I cried for help from the depths of Sheol. 
Thou didst hear my voice, for thou hast cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the current engulfed me. All thy breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from thy sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward thy holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountain. The earth, uh, the earth with its bars was around me forever. But thou hast brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to thee into thy holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to thee with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Imagine you being Jonah, being cast into the ocean. Now, uh, Mediterranean is probably warmer than here, but first thing I think of is it's going to be freezing. Next thing you know, a fish swallows you and takes you down, down, down. Now, i got to imagine that's pretty confining. Uh, i I got to imagine you'd feel pretty claustrophobic. Two times in my life I could remember that feeling. Once was a kid, uh, as a kid, maybe in the fourth or fifth grade, when we were young, we used to do dog pile. Some guy would jump on top of you and yell, dog pile, and all the other guys would jump on top and on top and on top and on top. And it's all fun and games unless you were the guy in the bottom. And, and if the guy was your friend, he was pretty strong, he'd usually get his elbows against the ground and he'd be, you know, like on all fours and he'd, he'd, he'd take some of the weight off you. But the guy that jumped on me didn't take any weight off me. He was heavy enough and then more weight, more weight. And I, and I seriously, I thought, I'm going to die here. You couldn't move. You're surrounded. Or, you know, just... And the other time was in Cave City when we went splunking that one time where you had to go through that... I don't know how many feet long it was, but you had to go on a certain shoulder because there was a curve into it. And the only thing you could see in front of you is a pair of shoes. And if you could get your head to look down, you just see somebody's head down there. And you're just elbowing it through. And I thought, I got a whole mountain sitting on top of me. <laughs> it was a six and a half hour, half hour hike, you know. And I'm thinking, this must be what it's like to feel claustrophobic, you know. And then you, you, you just... You just have to exercise so much self-control just to get yourself out of that mindset. But it, it's scary. Imagine Jonah. Now he's wet, soaking wet, weeds wrapped around his head. He's in a stomach of a fish, which means it's got to have some kind of acid in there, probably irritating his skin. I don't know how the depth of the sea goes down as the pressure gets greater and greater, whether that just condenses that fish's stomach to where he's feeling crushed. And yet he's got no escape because God's not letting him die. <laughs> you know that's got to be terrible. But it gave him time to think. It gave him time to think. And sometimes that's why God lets us go through some of the difficulties that we go through. It's not the physical necessary ir- irritation, although sometimes it can be, but the spiritual claustrophobia like, oh, I can't move. He's far from the presence of God. He's running from God. And it seems to me that that's what ultimately got to him. Thou hast cast me out of thy presence. But then he remembered the very compassionate and merciful and kind God that he served. And he once again turned his face toward God and cried out. And God had mercy on him. Amazing. Amazing uh, mercy that we see from God. But I will sacrifice to thee with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. The only one that could save him in that situation was from the Lord. And he once again, instead of complaining, instead of running, now he was grateful. 
And he says, what I have vowed, I will pay. I don't know about you, but I remember when I accepted the Lord. And I can remember the thought that went through my head. Is, you mean only, all I have to do is to do what the Lord says? I thought that was easy. And in my mind at that time, it was easy. But he's brought me through a few roads since then to know that it's not always easy, but it's simple. I know that Jesus died for me. He paid my penalty on the cross that I might go free. He's given me a living relationship with himself. And I know my rightful place. It's the vow that I gave God. Is God, you're my Lord. What you say is what I need to do. And I haven't always been faithful to that, I confess. I haven't always been obedient, but I know that's the vow that I made, and it's right. And I know as long as I stick to that, I won't have to go through what Jonah went through. <laughs> have you ever said that in your life? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Because that's what that means. That means where he sends, you will go. What he calls you to do, you will do. Though it seem impossible, he will give you the strength and power. I don't know, maybe in your life you're running from God. Maybe there's things that he wants you to do that you're not, you don't want to do. Maybe there's things that he doesn't want you to do that you're pursuing. And maybe spiritually speaking, you're in a spiral going down, down, down. I praise the Lord for the God of Jonah. Because he's going to bring him up from down, down, down. And set his feet on dry land. But he's not done with him yet. Let's look at it. Then the Lord commanded the fish. This is neat because I'm reading from the New American Standard, but your New King James says the Lord spoke to the fish, right? And it vomited Jonah up to dry land. I'll bet Jonah was glad the fish listened. <laughs> aren't you? Because he wasn't listening before that, but the fish was listening. And that's amazing. You know, all of creation will obey God and only man has the audacity to disobey God. I'm so glad the rest of creation doesn't have that kind of self-will and rebellion. Where would he be? Now the word of the Lord, chapter 3, came to Jonah the second time. Isn't that gracious of him to send his word the second time? I'm so glad he does that. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim, uh, proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly... Now, don't get the impression that he just bought him up on the shore of Nineveh and there he went. Because Nineveh, remember, is 375 miles away. So that would have been quite a long catapult to get him there. So he had to travel quite a way and he had a lot to think about along the way. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay, so he's proclaiming judgment against Nineveh because of their sin, their wickedness. And of course, what's on God's heart is that they repent. And let's see what they did. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put off sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly that each man may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we shall not perish. 
Now think of that. Here was this city. Now, this city was built alongside a river, about 100, uh, 1,500 yards away from a river, another river coming into that. And um, this city, by the time Sennacherib was done with it, and I don't know if that was in this time, but it was getting there, if it wasn't at that time, th- this period, there were like walls, I had a mile and a half long on one side, two and a half miles long on the other side, and some of these walls arrived at a height of 100 feet. That's a 10-story building. 50 feet thick. Imagine that. Now, this isn't like us. We can build a 10-story building. But can you imagine what it would take to, to build a 10-story building, two and a half miles long, 50 feet deep? Well, we got planes and helicopters and missiles that can leap that wall, but these guys didn't. I mean, can you imagine walking up to a wall, a 10-story building, look it up and say, wow, that city's protected. <laughs> so here comes a prophet said, yeah, 40 days? Uh-uh. It's going to be destroyed. It took a little bit of faith to believe that, didn't it? You know, I was reading a little bit of the history about Nineveh, and it might have helped that God seemed to have prepared them because five years, roughly five years before that, there was a plague in Nineveh. Then three years before that, there was a solar eclipse. And then within the same year, there's said to have been another plague. So here, this is how God prepared the city. Now God says, Jonah, you go preach to them. Judgment is coming. Repentance is needed. And he did. And they believed him. You know, oftentimes God sends signals our way if we're only listening. And God prepares the way. And one of the most marvelous things is when I talk to somebody about the Lord, when I finally, you know, get the lead out and get the courage out to speak to somebody about the Lord and I find out they have been prepared. God had sent a preparation. Other people have spoken to them. It's a marvelous thing. So these people believed to the point of repentance, which showed in action. The very thing Jonah wasn't looking forward to. That's what God wanted. So we're going to see. But it greatly displeased... Oh, wait a minute. Verse 10. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So that's what God was looking for. Repentant heart. Send a messenger, one who knows God. Bring the word of God to them so that he might save them by faith. You see, believe the word of God. And that's how only a person gets saved. He only gets saved through believing, through faith in the word of God. And so he didn't do it. Now, later on, we're going to find that Nineveh went south after that. And if you want to read a sequel, it's the Nahum, the book of Nahum. And that's the sequel. And that's where Nineveh gets totally wiped out and destroyed. But at this time, they responded. And so, really, it tells us... um, God sent a messenger to Nineveh telling them how sinful they were, how holy God was, judgment was coming, repentance is needed. Now, how many times do we read that God sent a prophet to Nineveh? I just see this one time. Next time you read about Nineveh, it's destroyed. I have to confess, because my memory is so bad and I was so blind, I don't remember but one time that I heard the gospel. I probably heard it more than once, but I can't say for sure. And I think it's tremendously gracious of God to give me that opportunity. But one thing he doesn't promise, and that's a second chance. I know there are people here in this room that have heard the gospel, that have heard of the pending judgment, that have heard about their sin, that have heard about the holiness of God. 
have heard about the gracious provision that God has made so that they might be saved. That's the Lord Jesus Christ down on the cross. And they, didn't, they haven't responded like the Ninevites. And God's been gracious to give a second and a third and a fourth hearing. That is amazing. But God doesn't promise another one. These Ninevites didn't need one. I hope you don't need another one if you don't know him. But it greatly displeased Jonah, chapter 4, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Okay, so now we see a little more clearly into Jonah's heart. He didn't want the forgiveness that God offered these people. He didn't want their repentance. He wanted their destruction. He was bitter. He was bitter. And and that's one thing that I recognize. If I look on any other human being and look at the calamity that might be coming their way or that has come their way and say they deserve it, and I'm not thinking with the heart of God. They may deserve it, but that's not God's heart. God's heart is, yes, they deserve it, but I want to save them. And it's only with refusal to God's gracious gift that a person is condemned in the end. Problem is, we don't know how many chances you get. It displeased Jonah, and he wanted to die. This tells you how bitter he was. Okay, that's enough. Kill me, Lord. I don't want to live anymore. Well, he might be thinking of his own embarrassment. I've been embarrassed before. And I could probably say... 99.9% of the times it's because of my own actions. (laughs) I deserve to be embarrassed. But I'll tell you, if somebody gave me the opportunity to see that many souls saved and and, and in the process me be embarrassed, you can embarrass me to no end then. That's That's God's heart. When Jesus hung on that cross, do you think he was embarrassed? When he was stripped and beaten so bad you couldn't tell he was a man for your sins and for my sins, do you think he refrained from that because of a little embarrassment? It says he despised the shame and he endured the cross for the joy set before him. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loved me and that's how much he loved the Ninevites. And yet Jonah was a little ticked off because of a little embarrassment because these people were, are they gruesome? They're brutal? He didn't know the half of it. And yet God's trying to help him to see it his way. And God asked him a question. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Do you have good reason to be angry? It's sort of a rhetorical question because he doesn't answer it. But God's going to drive that point home. Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So he proclaimed 40 days, so he was there quite a long time. So the Lord appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to be shade, a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. Isn't that nice of God? There's an object lesson here that he's going to have to suffer through. Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. That's the the first time I hear of Jonah being happy in this whole book. (laughs) Because of a plant. He's got some shade. It was a relief. And you know, that's how we are sometimes. We get a little relief from some difficulties in life and we're happy. But God appointed a worm. When dawn came the next day, it attacked the plant and it withered. 
That was mean of him, wasn't it? That's what Jonah was thinking. And it came about when the sun had come up that God appointed a scorching wind, an east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. So God not only took away the shade, he sent a little bit more heat. Turn the oven up a little bit. We got a lesson for Jonah. And sometimes it's in the heat of difficulties that we learn the greatest lessons. When God finally gets to us and shows us something worth learning. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Yeah, I have reason to be angry. It's amazing. He doesn't see it yet. It's like he's going to be blindsided right here with such a clear and obvious truth he should have saw it coming, but he doesn't. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow and which came up overnight and perished overnight. You didn't work for it. You didn't make it grow. And it's transitory. Here today, gone tomorrow. And you had compassion on the plant. You felt sorry for the plant. Which sort of has a window into his thoughts. He wasn't just angry that he didn't get a shade, but he's thinking, man, poor plant. And should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals? A little bit of irony there. Even if you wanted to kill all the people, which are the most valuable to me, what about the animals? Even you value them, Jonah. Look, the, you, you valued the plant. I wonder if he had a few years to think about that after that. I would have never forgotten that lesson. It reveals the very heart of God. Yes, God is a holy God and God must judge sin because he is a holy God. He takes pleasure in holiness, but he does not take pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. He doesn't take pleasure in sending people to hell. It doesn't even say he made hell for people. He made it for the, the angels that rebelled against him. But if we don't turn from our sin and believe God and receive his Savior as our Savior, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we're really taking sides with those very ones that hell was made for, those that don't want anything to do with God. And so I might, I might ask you if you don't yet know the Lord or you haven't turned your life over to the Lord, you haven't believed on him. What is holding you back? Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. And their city was saved. The sailors believed the word of God through Jonah. And they didn't perish at sea. And through this book, I hope you see the love of God for your soul. He wants your best. He wants a personal relationship with you. He wants you to know Him, to know the glories of His person, to have someone to walk with through life and into eternity that truly understands you, that knows your most lonely thought, that understands your deepest longing and yearning. He knows what can satisfy that and He wants to give it to you. Why? Why say no? Why say no? You see, once you, once you say yes, You'll say, I don't believe it. I can't believe what I've missed all these years. This is wonderful. How many people know the Lord and can say that about their life here in this room? Raise your hands. I know the Lord and He is wonderful. And I could recommend Him to 
anybody here. That's a testimony from people in all walks of life. We're not some club trying to convert you. We've come to know the Lord. He's wonderful. It hasn't been always easy, but that's because of my rebellion and my sinfulness. But he's been so faithful and so loving and so kind. He's treated me better than he's treated Jonah. And through it all, he has lessons for me. And through correcting my bad behavior, my rebellion, my sinfulness, he's used me in the lives of others for which I am not worthy, for which he gets all the glory. And he's done the same thing for you if you know him. Now, you that don't know him, don't you want to know someone like that? If he, if he asks you to give up anything, it's only because he wants to give you something better in its place. All those people in Nineveh, he loved. And here was one holdout that didn't love any of them. That wasn't the heart of God. Do you have the heart of God? That's what I want. Longing for souls, to see them saved. Nineveh had some indicators that something was up. We don't find it in the Word of God, but through history we read about plagues. We read about solar eclipses. What indicators do we see in our present day and age that we just slough off like it's nothing? Earthquakes, freeways flattening people, fires engulfing thousands of homes and killing people, plagues. We talk about swine flu, a variant flu of the... Uh, of these strains that we that the, the, the doctors worry they won't be able to fight. You have wars. You have people convincing other people to blow themselves up in a suicide bombing just to harm up other people, and somehow that's good. Talk about the, 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 grusual, uh, the gruesome scene of the Assyrians with flaying people. That's a scene that I could see on the Internet when I look up how much abortion we do every year. There's signs all around us that God's judgment's coming, everywhere. So it shouldn't be hard to believe this message. The judgment is coming. The hands of a holy God. But he's giving you warning first so that you can repent and turn to him because he wants to save your soul. And my prayer to you today is that you don't delay. That you bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to him so that you can know him and have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. Stories, real stories about real people. Miracles even. Most precious to us is that it reveals the very heart of God. We think of the wicked city Nineveh and how your heart went out for them. Every single soul. Even as you looked on the 120,000 children that didn't know the, the left hand from their right. They were precious souls in your sight. No less than full, fully human and valuable in your sight. And you uh, set out to save them, even through a reluctant servant, Lord. And I confess, oftentimes I'm reluctant, and I'm ashamed of it. Lord, we pray that we might not be reluctant, that we might have the heart of God, that we might reach out to those that don't yet know you, that we might be proclaimers of the word of God, that we might be busy about, not in uh, cruises to Tarshish or, or any other activity that is vain in the eyes of eternity, but that we might really be about what you would have us do. We pray that you would let us to know, let us know how we're not doing that. Lord, we pray and commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.